Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Got too much gear today, so I got a little, little stand over here for all my gear. And we are going to take a look at the Sermon on the Mount again this week, a second week in our series through this uh, marvelous section of Scripture that is, uh, you know, both uh, challenging and controversial and incredibly refreshing in the things that it says and the way it addresses our lives uh, spiritually. Uh, Once again, although folks uh, certainly uh, from perspectives of uh, disregard to God's word and its authority would maybe view this as uh, just a collection of Jesus's uh, good thoughts that may or may not have come from him. And we should or should not listen to them. As we come here today, we recognize this is a message that Jesus, in fact, delivered some 2000 years ago that Matthew a witnessed and heard and recorded through the power of the Holy Spirit for our benefit today. And and as such, these uh, these verses really all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, certainly the Beatitudes, are going to function in our lives in several ways. And I'll try to, I mentioned these last week. I'll mention them again. Uh, always going to be a mirror for us, always going to show us things in our life where we're uh, lacking, uh, always going to be a uh, trophy for us to shoot for, if you will, a goal for us to aim for in our spiritual lives, uh, in particular in the Beatitudes, but all through the Sermon on the Mount, we're also enticed. We're also drawn in, invited to pursue the things of God, not just out of mere duty, but because we'll be blessed, we'll be benefited as we pursue them. And in all of this, of course, we'll also be looking at the exquisite, the marvelous, the wonderful nature of Jesus through his words to us, ultimately pointing us to the to the only hope, the Lord Jesus himself, who is really the only one that fulfills this sermon. Right. Unlike the one speaking to you up front here, uh, Jesus perfectly practices what he preaches. And therefore, he is for us both Lord and uh, Savior. And so with that in mind, we uh, turn again this week. This is our second week uh, looking at the Beatitudes. We're going to plow through several more of the Beatitudes listed here. And I invite you all to stand with me as I read aloud. You read along silently. We'll start in Matthew chapter 5 and read verses 1 through 12. I reading them aloud. You reading along silently. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You may be seated. And as you do, let's pray again. 
Father, we uh, thank you for the reminder uh, that we have today that uh, the grass withers and the flower fades. All our glory is like that grass and those flowers. But you, Lord, and your word stand forever. And we thank you for that in Jesus name. Amen. We talked last uh, week a bit about the paradoxical, the counterintuitive nature of the whole kingdom of God. And in particular, these beatitude uh, sayings. And it's a little like uh, I may have mentioned this last week, but it's a little like those uh, pictures that grew popular back in the late 1980s and early 1990s. In fact, I think there were in the malls, you know, at that time, some stores that were almost exclusively dedicated to these. Do you re- remember them? They were like a, a poster, usually just had a white background. And to look at it, it was maybe just a circle that looked like it had little pixels, multicolored pixels in it. And it might have a title on the top of it, but 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 you would look at it. And, and, and they became very popular, and you would look at it, and if you've never looked at one of them before, you would just see, oh, it looks like just a bunch of pixels kind of on the front of a, you know, white poster board. What's the big deal? Why are people paying $50 for one of these? But, but then if you, if you learn to do it, and it might take you like two hours of looking at one of these things the first time to kind of get it, but then once you got it, you could, could see it. You remember them where you could sort of focus one eye in and out. I probably couldn't tell you how to do it today because it was just one of those things you had to learn. Then all of a sudden, out of those pixels would jump this sort of three-dimensional image that was a, a castle or a or an incredible uh, ship with huge sails and so some something amazing, something dramatic that would jump forward from it. I think the Beatitudes are a little bit that way. When we look at them on the surface again, we are a bit befuddled. They don't seem necessarily all uh, that helpful. Uh, they maybe seem too difficult to see or whatnot. But when when we then begin to have eyes to see them, all of a sudden. Jumping out of them comes this incredible image of the kingdom of God that, of course, is an image that touches and shapes our lives. So this is true for the Beatitudes. And we uh, saw last week, we see again today, this uh, main idea. If you want to follow along in your worship guide, there's a note section at the at the back of your worship guide that since God's kingdom blessing comes through paradox, that we should walk in that paradox so Jesus makes no bones about it. These statements are, uh, are counterintuitive. They seem to run against each other. But he says, in trusting me and believing me, then you can actually find the kingdom of God in these. Walk in them. We saw as well, and I'm just you know, reviewing a little bit, we saw last week that these, uh, these statements are, are not meant to, to tell us that kind of this group over here are the peacemaker folks. And these group over here are the pure in heart. And those folks uh, back there are the hungry and thirsting after righteousness. And those are the meek. You know, it's not it's not that we're supposed to each maybe take on one of these. That would probably be hard enough. The challenge of the kingdom, though, is that all of these things are uh, areas of our life that the Lord wants to work in for each one of us. We're to embrace all of them and that this is not for some uh, special group of folks. Somewhere off in the mountains in a monastery or people for, with religious titles, you know, before their name. These, these are for all of us to, to wrestle with, to embrace the kingdom of God. And we said this as well, that each of these statements begins with this word blessed, blessed. 
And I don't know if you remember what we said last week, but maybe a good substitute for for that is the word benefited. Because blessed kind of rolls right, you know, just goes right over the top of our head because it's churchy. And if you've been around church at all, you, you, it doesn't really resonate. It just, just goes right by. But benefited maybe would help or deeply benefited maybe would work better for us. There's something that's going to come into our lives of goodness from the Lord if we walk in these uh, statements and these truths from Jesus. All right. Well, why do we need to look particularly this week at these statements? And we're going to focus on starting on verse six, hungering and thirsting for righteousness and talking about being merciful, then the pure in heart then peacemakers and the persecuted. Uh, we want to look at these this week and we need to hunker down on them. we can't just glaze over them because each one of them, like we saw last week, uh, requires something of us. We saw last week, you've got to acknowledge that you're poor in spirit. That, that's not fun. That's kind of letting go of some of your pride, some of our, uh, our self-sufficiency, that, that we would mourn, that we would mourn over our own brokenness and the brokenness of the world. That takes something out of us. We just want to, you know, we don't want to do that. We don't have to wrestle with the losses. Uh, hungering and thirsting is, is lacking something, and you want to get that thing. Being merciful requires that we take time and energy to pour into other people's lives. All of these things require something of us. So we want to figure out what's the blessing that comes from that, that we might be motivated more and more. We don't usually hunger and thirst after the things of God. We hunger and thirst for lots of things. We have lots of passions and motivations and desires, but not so often for the things of God, and we don't often show mercy because we're not interested in it. We're a little bit like the shallow small group, right? I'd rather watch the big game. I don't want to hear about your problems, right? Let's just get on with uh, life because we don't want to have to wrestle with those things. So let's take a look at this. And again, it's interesting that those first statements we looked at last week, here's something overall that I want you to, to take away. Those first statements that we looked at last week, Poor in spirit, and then mourning is really what? Being poor in, we might say, joy. You know, you're lacking, you're mourning, so you're sort of lacking joy. Uh, Poor in spirit, poor in joy, and then we saw poor in power, meekness. So last week was a little bit about the things we're lacking. This week, being full of mercy. Being those who are uh, filled with peace and wanting to make peace. Being those who are filled with purity. That's where we're headed. So uh, the, the statement in the middle is a good place for us to start. Verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's kind of a pivot in the middle of the Beatitudes. You remember if you ever, you know, played a little basketball or had a little basketball coaching. And I can remember watching my boys play uh, the first game last season. One of my sons who was playing basketball. I mean, I don't know how many penalties were called because the, the boys kept forgetting that when you get the ball, now you can move, but you got to keep this foot right. You, know, you can spin all the way around if you want to, if you keep that pivot foot in place. And this hungering and thirsting for righteousness, I think, is kind of a pivot in the Beatitudes, between the poor in spirit, the poor in joy, the poor in power, and the full in mercy, the full in peace, the full in purity. So let's talk about that one first, and then we'll work our way on down today. 
Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Wow. (laughs) There's a, a ton there. But again, I think the challenge for us is this. What what are we longing for? What What is the pursuit? What is the desire of our hearts in our lives? And Jesus is saying, as I come into your life, as I turn your life around, then all of a sudden you'll be transformed. You'll start to have some longing for the things of the kingdom. That's what righteousness is. It's the way of the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, I'll bring that to you as you seek it. Now, when we think about righteousness, we rightly Think about the imputed or credited righteousness that we have through Jesus as something we get as a free gift that he gives to us just by uh, trusting in him. So we have kind of that category of righteousness. And then we probably can think of two other categories, what we might call sort of personal moral righteousness, our own behavior, the things we say and do and think about that maybe nobody else even knows about, but are going on in in here and in here. And then we have sort of global uh, worldwide community righteousness and justice where it inter- intersects with other people. Does that make sense? So we have kind of those different avenues of righteousness. And although certainly the Sermon on the Mount implies that we need Jesus's credited righteousness, I think the, the righteousness Jesus is really trying to have us think about here are those two other ones, the personal transformation that will come in our lives through surrendering to Jesus. And then the way that shapes our perspective of the world and engages us with seeing righteousness come around us. So a question for us today is, do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? And and if, like me, you find that you often don't, I think the second question for us is, is the reason that we don't, that we don't believe that we will really be satisfied that really Jesus will meet us if we devote our focus, our desires toward his righteousness. Second thing we see in these verses going on to the next of the Beatitudes is blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Here's a, uh, an interesting one again, because It seems a little topsy-turvy. We know that we are shown mercy, and then we think, well, Christ has shown us that mercy, so we ought to be motivated to be merciful. But this is actually saying we'll get mercy if we're merciful. So it seems a little, maybe a little backwards for for us, but I think it's like that parable. You remember the one Jesus told in Matthew 18, where you've got the folks that had some debts? And, and the one uh, gentleman came in and the, the ruler, the leader who was collecting his debt from this gentleman says, I, I need that paid back right now. And the man's debt was astronomical, the equivalent of billions of dollars today. And, of course, the gentleman says, I, I, don't, I don't have it on me. I, I'm, I'm not I don't have what you need. And the ruler, the master says, hey, it's canceled. That debt is canceled. And you remember what happens in the parable when that same guy goes out and he finds one of his uh, workers on his little farm and discovers that that guy owes him just a couple of days wage, you know, a few hundred dollars maybe in our economy. And, 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 and the master who had been forgiven so much then demands that the other worker of his repay that. And the, the Lord overall... The king calls him back in 
has a little pow, powwow, a, a literal come to Jesus, right? To say, hey, what was it about me forgiving you this huge thing that didn't quite get through your noggin when you were engaged with this other person that needed to be forgiven a small debt? The same idea, I think, is here on this mercy. The, the proof is in the pudding. If, if we're totally lacking in mercy towards those around us, someone could rightly ask the question, did you not get all the mercy that was shown to you? Does that make sense? So it's kind of it's kind of backloaded. It kind of points back towards our understanding of mercy. And I think a question for all of us today uh, related to this one is, and this is a very convicting one for me. If, if you were to list the top 10 characteristics of Chris Peters, or if somebody were to list the, the, the 10 first characteristics that come to mind about you, would merciful be in that list? Right? It's interesting, too, because I read this this week in a little commentary by a guy named uh, Bruner, Frederick Bruner. And uh, I wanted to read this to you because in some ways, our quest for that... Uh, that first kind of righteous or the second kind of righteousness that I talked about, our personal morality, trying to be sort of an upstanding citizen, trying to do what we're supposed to do in society, be who God calls us to be, be salt and light. Sometimes that comes into conflict with our merciful side, right? Because we feel like people ought to just get after it and do it, right? Get after it and do the righteousness thing. And when folks aren't doing it, then we aren't necessarily as merciful as we should be. Let me read this to you because he says it a lot better than I could. He says this. He says there is a morality that actually hardens us. That wake that makes one more severe with others, the more one has learned to be severe with oneself. He says this is a tempting route of sacrifice centered Spiritual disciplines focused, perfectionist, higher life ethics. Did you follow that? This is a tempting route of sacrifice centered, spiritual disciplines focused, perfectionist, higher life ethics. That probably describes a good number of us in here or who are performance motivated people who uh, try to exert ourselves in lots of area in life and oftentimes see success. But here's the problem, he says. But the first test of obedience. Okay, so he's saying after you pivot, after we pivot with this hungering and thirsting, that the first test, the merciful, is not whether obedience makes one morally tougher, but whether it also makes one mercifully softer. Did you hear that? The question is not whether it makes us morally tougher, but whether it makes us mercifully softer. I can ask that in a pointed question to you all because it applies real directly to me, I assure you. Mercy, merciful. Hey, it affects the way we see the stuff that's going on in the news right now, doesn't it? Okay, you all have been on Facebook probably, and if you're not, you're clicking into the news of what's, you know, St. Louis is where Patience and I lived for nine years. You know, how we view that situation. I know there's complexities and there's a whole, you know, justice that needs to be sorted out in that situation but doesn't it there's part of us that rises up and says the upstanding citizen part of us and do what's right and then hopefully there's somewhere also another part of us that's merciful towards what has happened 
and all the implications of it, right? Mercy, righteousness, hard sometimes for us to keep those two together. Third thing in this passage, the pure in heart, Jesus says, will see God. Boy, we uh, we could camp out on this one a long time as well. Again, I don't think Jesus is trying to dismiss the idea of his credited righteousness to us and say, well, the only way you're going to see God or encounter God is if you get yourself pure enough. Not saying that at all. He's saying in light of my kingdom, in light of who I am in your life and my saving grace, then then that's going to work some kind of transformation to where you want to see me and you want to see me enough that you want to see your life changed and cleared up and uncluttered. I mean, think of all the things and Jesus is going to talk about some of them in the weeks that we have coming up as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. Think of all the things that cloud up our purity of heart during the week. Jesus will talk about him. He's going to identify some of those unjustified angers coming in just a couple of weeks. We look at the Sermon on the Mount says about that uh, adulterous lust, deceptive words. Those are coming in just a few weeks. Bigger picture in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is going to point out the, the lack of purity in our heart and the hypocrisy of our prayers often that we have the failure to fast, the lack of generosity for God's kingdom and the needy. He's going to highlight some of those things. And then even bigger picture ways that our hearts are impure. The worry that we have that's driven by lack of trust. The envy driven by our lack of identity in Christ. The pride which seems to be the fountain of all of our rebellion. It's not a very pure picture in here for any one of us if we ever uh, honestly take a look at our spiritual condition. Jesus says if you start to experience the kingdom, then that purity of the Holy Spirit working in your life is going to change us so that we want things that are good and right and holy. And then guess what? That's not a waste of time. That's not something that's a frivolous pursuit because what is everybody in the world, even people that maybe say they don't really know about God or or know if there is a God, most everybody in the world would say, if I could see God, I would really like to be able to do that. If I could be promised that I could see and experience God, I'd love to have that. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart because we will be seeing God. Fourth thing, blessed are the peacemakers, it says here, for they shall be called the sons of God. I'm going to camp out on this for just a a minute and then we'll kind of land the Land the plane here. We're going to talk in a few weeks a little bit more. There's a section on the Sermon Mount that deals a little bit more directly with some of the reconciliation. But but I want to talk about the motivation to be peacemakers and maybe put some brass tacks on all of these ideas we're talking about. I think it must have been last year in the spring. I was sitting in my car and I was uh, at one of the boys uh, baseball practices and it must have been, you know, Chris Peters, Ph.D. work on, you know, time. So I was I was in my vehicle and, and it was cool enough that I could kind of have the windows down halfway. And I was parked off at the, the part of the parking lot just far away from all the other cars. Or at least I thought I was. There was a few right around me, but kind of removed because I wanted to wanted to get get down and get some studying done. I needed to, to have that time. And uh, as I sat there. I began to overhear a couple Uh, very quickly. I deduced that they were uh, a husband and wife. I think must have still been married, but uh, separated. 
I did not recognize recognize the voices. I didn't turn towards them, and they were kind of back towards the back of my car and over a few spaces, but I could hear them loud and clear because the conversation level elevated quickly. But they couldn't see me, and I couldn't see them. And, and you know what? I just I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, and this may be too much self-disclosure, but, you know, Chris Peters, when, when I'm um, involved with my own spiritual life and wrestling with some things, that, that takes plenty out of me. And then, you know, I'm thankful for my calling here with the church, but, you know, that, that, that's a, a job and an effort that I'm involved with. And so when I have my little Chris time and doing my study time, I don't want to be bothered, right? I didn't want to be engaged with what these folks were doing back behind my car. And I was fine for there not to be any engagement. And, and you've, we've probably been there, experienced it. We've been involved in those kind of discussions that start to get heated. And maybe in the workplace, maybe with friendships, maybe in our marriage. This one started to go to another level, though, when the wife began to address the children that were apparently standing right there as well. Again, I couldn't see, so I didn't know about that. And all of a sudden, that paragraph that I kept trying to read and wasn't getting any further than one sentence in that paragraph, I stopped moving. And the mom said something to the effect of, you know, kids, let's get in the car and go. Your dad's in one of his you know, moods again. You don't need to listen to what he has to say. The dad, uh, not in an aggressive fashion, really, but in more of a pleading way begin to address the children as well and said, this kids is the problem. Your mom's always taking you away and you're not getting to hear my side of the story. I said it more calmly there than, than he said it. And this went on and my heart just began to sink as yours probably is now too. As they didn't just accidentally work the kids into this argument They intentionally, back and forth, were doing this. And I still sat there and just listened to it go on. Still trying to have my Chris Peters time, because that's what I was wanting to do at that moment. And finally, I got up, just Holy Spirit moved me, because I wasn't interested in doing it, opened the door, and I began to move towards them without having any idea what I was going to say. Now, for those of you that are here and listen to me on Sunday morning, that'll be no surprise to you. (laughs) But I moved towards them. I also did not really think until I sort of took that first step or two towards them that they had been coming from baseball practice. And the first thing I noticed was the baseball hand or the baseball bat gripped about midway inside a very muscular hand of the husband attached to a rather massive arm that was attached to a huge torso that could have been a world's strongest man kind of guy. And I was already moving. Otherwise, I would have turned back and headed back into my car. And their look to me was more one of shame than it was of aggression. And I I just said, hey, I, I don't have any idea what's going on here, but this thing has gone off the rails and this is not helping anybody. And I've got my own problems, but this is just hurting me listening to this happening with your kids. And, and, and I don't, it really, I'm not sure anything really got solved, but that we were able to get, you know, mom off down the road. And I taught, I did get to talk to the husband a little bit about the gospel and he actually was really calm and we had a good conversation. But, but as you can hear from, from my retelling of it, 
how disappointed I was in myself that I had so compartmentalized my life that I had an opportunity to be a peacemaker. And I sat there. I sat there for so long and let so much of that damage happen. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said, for they shall be called the sons of God. Last thing we see in these verses is that Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. Now, notice he goes on down below and says, blessed are you when you're persecuted on Jesus's account. Okay, so (laughs) some of us run into a lot of difficulties in life and it's on our account. We're the ones that bring us bring it upon us. You know, we're really obnoxious or really annoying or really difficult. And then people don't like us. Well, that's not the same thing. You know, being persecuted is biblically is being persecuted because of something about Jesus, because of our identity in Christ or because of standing for something. And boy, we don't have to go far with this today, do we? Doesn't it convict us about our fear of persecution, how people might think of us, our reluctance to speak about the gospel when you turn on the news and we see these folks over in uh, Mosul area? You know, I told my boys about it this week. And, uh, you know, I told them, I said there were 1,700 people there, Christians in that town. And, and then I told them the figures. I said, there's now zero. Now, some of those folks, you know, fled. They're not, they're not all dead. They haven't all been killed. But a chunk of them are. And it was kind of like those figures rattled off my tongue to tell the, tell the boys something about what was going on over there because I think they'd heard about it or we'd talked about it. And, and, then, and then I realized, boy, that is, you know, I'm not even wrestling with those figures of what happened. But, boy, isn't that convicting for us? Obviously, to pray for the folks over there that they would experience the kingdom of heaven in the midst of their persecution, but also for us who are so feeble and so weak in the face of the little bit of persecution that we face, to be strengthened, to believe the promises of the kingdom of God. Let me read one paragraph to close our time from John Stott, because I think he does a great job summing all of these Beatitudes up, and then we'll be done. He says this. So the Beatitudes paint a comprehensive portrait of the Christian disciple. We see him first alone on his knees before God, acknowledging his spiritual poverty and mourning over it. This makes him meek or gentle in all his relationships, since honesty compels him to allow others to think of him what before God he confesses himself to be. Yet he's far from acquiescing in his sinfulness, for he hungers and thirsts after righteousness, longing to grow in grace and in goodness. We see him next to the others out in the human community. His relationship with God does not cause him to withdraw from society, nor is he insulated from the world's pain. On the contrary, he's in the thick of it, showing mercy to those battered by the adversity, by adversity and sin. He is transparently sincere in all his dealings and seeks to play a constructive role as peacemaker. Yet he is not thanked for his efforts always, but rather opposed slandered, insulted, and persecuted on account of the righteousness for which he stands and the Christ with whom he is identified. Such is the man or woman who is blessed, that is, who has the approval of God and finds self-fulfillment as a human being. Let's pray. Father, we... 
thank you. We praise your name for the truths of your word. And we thank you that we can read it and have it come into our lives. And we pray change us. So do that today. Let us be blessed as you have promised to bless us as we walk in your kingdom pathway. Even though, Lord, it's counterintuitive, even though it's a paradox to us, let us believe it. Let us walk in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.